connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones is equal, connect to them. Dry bones not here. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. Yes. Uh, I'm Andrew. Andrew. I am Andrew, as you said, from the Bunta Vista podcast. We have Riley, from the Trash Future podcast. Hello. Now, we're here to talk about a show, a very special show. You may have gathered a hint from the theme song. Uh, Riley, would you like to explain the show that we're going to be talking about? For about a decade, uh, Fox has shown one of the best and strangest police procedurals on network television. This show is called Bones, and Bones has probably the best example of what I like to call um, mid-series run police procedural strangeness, where what begins is a group of forensic anthropologists based at the... Um, at the at the Smithsonian uh, in the in Washington D.C., just solving crimes on the basis of looking at forensic evidence from bones, uh, spirals up into a um, slightly magic conspiracy-driven soap opera where characters are getting married and dying, and there may be leprechauns at one point, and so on, because the showrunners realized that you can only make bones so interesting. And boy, did they make it so interesting. Uh, said, we so- we got to open this big vial labeled interesting and pour it all in at once. Yes, exactly. And so, um, given that Bones Season 5 exists, which in my opinion is the perfect bridge between when it was just a procedural about a forensic anthropologist named Temperance Bones Brennan solving... Oh. Uh, unsolved murders using bones uh when it grew it ran out of just normal murder of the week in season four ish uh began a love story between uh between uh uh it's a the deschanel sister so it's not zooey deschanel it's the other deschanel um and uh david boreanaz from angel uh it it gave them a love story that didn't they didn't quite pay it off and season four, and then season five, they were like, no, it needs to be Stranger. Um, and then in later seasons of the show, of course, it becomes all about sort of high-level conspiracies and shooting matches and babies and so on. But we are talking about the sweet spot, season five, where they still have Monster of the Week-style uh, police procedural. But crucially, it's... Uh, it's it is un. It is very unusual. It is the sweet spot of strangeness in the long-running series that is Bones. Can I can I note something interesting for you here? Please do. Uh, that's um, Zoe Deschanel's sister, Emily Deschanel, who plays Bones. <laughs> who plays? Yes. It's, who plays, it's, what good luck for, she's called that. Who plays forensic anthropologist Dr. Temperance Bones Brennan. Oh, no matter how many times I see that, it's great to me. Um, but her and uh, Boreanaz served as co-producers at the start of the show's third season before becoming producers in the middle of the show's fourth season. So I think you can actually directly plot 
the arc of this insanity with the level of involvement that the two lead actors had in the steering of the show. I did not know that, but that's that's incredible. Of course, mm. yeah. Because they're they're all they're giving themselves increasingly strange mysteries to solve. I mean okay, you know um the 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 episode of The Simpsons where um the kids are all in a focus group watching um watching watching the movies with the little dials that they can turn to like or not like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um and the uh uh and, and and the focus group says, So wait a minute, let me get this straight. You want a grounded uh, you want a grounded uh, show set in the set in in your in your world. Uh, you want a version of Itchy and Scratchy that's relating to your problems. That's very realistic. But also, you want magical robots firing lasers at one another constantly. And the kids are like, "Yes, yes, I do. And <laughs> yes, that, I do." And that is what David Boreanaz and Emily Deschanel have created. I'd like to also note that um, <clears throat> don't want to blame anyone specific, but this was created by a Canadian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a Canadian named Hart Hansen. <laughs> cool, great, <laughs> great Sweet. name, awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, all the names in this are great. Temperance oh. Brennan, fantastic. Seely Booth, what a name. FBI agent Seely Booth. I feel like Hart, Hart Hansen in part created this show so that um, he Just would to have normalize a normal, his own name. <laughs> yeah, so that he'd have a comparatively normal name. That's right. Well, well, he wrote for um, he wrote for Canadian TV shows like Neon Rider, which is never a very cool sounding, uh, great name, great <laughs> name. But unfortunately, it's not some Blade Runner type shit. It's about a guy taking troubled kids to his ranch. Well, here's the, ride on horses. here's the thing about Canadian television and why I think, you know, Hart Hansen had to go to America to get his, his, uh, his masterpiece made to, because this is basically like the Mozart, this is like, yeah, this is, this is like the, like the, the mid-career Mozart of strange television. <laughs> um, why, why Hart Hansen would have had to go to the U.S. to get Bones made <laughs> is that most Canadian TV is like, um, uh, sort of paid for uh, as like a, a public subsidy in as much oh, as yeah, yeah. the government will pay for Brent Butt to make 20 seasons of Corner Gas, even though no one watches it. It's like the televisual equivalent to paying people to dig ditches and fill them back in. Is this like the Australian thing where there is a government mandated uh, quota of local content that has to be aired? Yeah, that's why you have so many seasons of Neighbours. Yeah, well, no, that's for British people. Oh, Okay, I, I went to... That's the only Australian show I can think of because I went to university with a guy whose mom was on Neighbours. People, people like, come to Australia to, like, look at the street where they shot the exterior shot of Ramsey Street in Neighbours. <laughs> people <laughs> people over there love that shit because they love whatever it is, like EastEnders and all, yeah. the, all the soap opera stuff. Yeah. Um, the first time I ever went to Melbourne, uh, probably a couple of years before I moved there, I flew there. Um, with the girl I was dating at the time and it'd been a long day and not that it's like a long flight or anything, but it'd been a long day. Air travel sucks anyway. I think we mm-hmm. can all agree. Uh, uh-huh. flight is I heard miracle, that from comedians. But it can, yeah. Flight's a miracle, but also being in airports can fuck off. So we get to, um, we get to Melbourne and this friend of ours who has picked us up is like, I've got a surprise for you. And we get in the car and we start driving. And we keep driving and we've been driving for like an hour, right? 
and we pull into this street and she goes, well, and I go, well, what? And she has taken us to the street where the external shot of Ramsey Street from Neighbours is filmed. Like, just, just the street where they go, yeah, here's the outside of the houses where we don't film the show. And, and I was like, cool. Thank you for showing me this place where a single shot of a television show was taken from a show that I don't watch. <laughs> no interest in. She just um, assumed. Yeah. And she was like, cool. Okay. Now we got to drive like an hour back the other way. Cause this was not on our way to where we were going at all. This was like an hour in the opposite direction <laughs> from where we were going. Oh, I bet you had to pretend to love it too. Like, oh, neighbors. Cool. <laughs> Neat. Everybody needs good neighbors. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it, it wasn't even like, um, it wasn't like somebody showing you the, the Hollywood sign or being like, hey, there's the big water tower at the Warner Brothers movie lot or something. You know, it's not like a, oh, and only, only 20 feet from us was where Ginger Rogers was dancing. It's like, nope, here is, here is where they, they don't film the show. <laughs> <laughs> here was here was one of many places in Australia where neighbors is not filmed. That's it. That's it. So um one other one other fact I have to share with you before we move on here, which yes, is please. while the TV show Bones was still in production, uh Deschanel played the Brennan character, the Temperance Bones Brennan character. The titular Bones. On an episode of Sleepy Hollow. And a 2016 episode of BoJack Horseman. So, um, Bones is canon in the BoJack universe. Mm -hmm. That's why she's so depressed. And in the American supernatural drama, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, that's why why Bones is so depressed. It's because she's canonically on BoJack Horseman. It's it's great. She's um, she, she, I I'd love to get the episode of, of Bones written by the writers of BoJack Horseman, like where she's sort of you know um, looking off into the middle distance, uh, saying I find I find these bones which give so many so much strength. Yet why do I feel so hollow? And then everyone mm. laughs because there's a pun. Uh, more like Bone Jack Brenman. That's right. It is more like that. <laughs> so, so I think we're now going to try and attempt. We will attempt to recap the first episode, season five, the television show Bones. Um, we open in this episode with psychic Cindy Lauper giving a tarot reading. That's always to, uh, a really good sign for your police procedural is, okay, we open on <laughs> psychic Cindy Lauper. <laughs> psychic Cindy Lauper. Uh, is giving a tarot reading to Bones, who just got back from Guatemala. Uh, she's making it very clear from her body language and all of her comments that she thinks that this is fucking stupid. <laughs> There's um, no such thing as psychics, she <laughs> she says. Well, um, well, Cindy Lauper and uh, Angela, one of her co-workers... <laughs> she says a, a number of things throughout this show that are, are meant to... Meant to, I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how they're meant to help us perceive her character, but they're, they're not good. They're not good. Um, I think mm-hmm. they're meant to make her sound very smart. 
uh, but instead just kind of a dick. So she is yeah, there well, with her, her colleague. Her, whole, her character, her character, and the characterization of the show is that she's is that she's smart, but like almost unreachably smart. So she's like smart, but slightly off. You know, she's um, she's always making mistakes in social situations, but she's so clever, um, which is uh, an, an interesting choice that the the authors of this show that definitely understand the uh, autism spectrum have made. Yeah, it is. It gets pretty Sheldon Cooper at points. Yes. yes. Not going to lie. Yeah. So, um, you know, she's getting her tarot reading. And at the same time that this is happening, and she's dismissively declaring that, um, you know, psychics are not real, quite rudely to the face mm-hmm. of this psychic who is doing this for her. <laughs> I think we have to emphasize is played by Cindy Lauper. Yes, it's definitely played by... a. 60-year-old Cindy Lauper, um, who, I gotta say, you gotta love Cindy Lauper's voice. Oh, yeah. I like that we have a, a, a North Jersey psychic here. The The woman is 100% uh, from Brooklyn, New York, New York. Born there, raised there. Uh, what a voice. What an accent. Mm-hmm. It is great stuff. Yeah, um, I'm a psychic, see? <laughs> I can um, see the while future. This is happening, <laughs> there's there's something she <laughs> there's something she says later on where I wrote it down because I I have to come back to it when we get there. So, uh, FBI special agent C. Lee Booth, played by Buffy's David Boreanaz, um, he just got out of a coma, <laughs> and he's being seen to by a psychologist called Sweets. <laughs> His, his last name is Sweets? Yeah, his last name is Sweets. However, before we carry on, I actually do have some quotes from the tarot card section. Oh, beautiful. Hear me. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, um, the tarot card reader uh, is, is sort of saying some, just again, some... Some some stuff like oh you're gonna you're gonna meet the man that, that you love and so on uh, and he's going to be wonderful and then Bones like without thinking will say well Booth has a heart of gold just sort of really setting up like with the baseball bat that these two are yeah. going to have chemistry um, and also uh, the tarot card reader says her life is at a very critical turning point between great happiness and then ominous music comes in like and she turns over a card marked death and her colleague Angela looks right at her and says that's death (laughs) thank you Angela Montenegro (laughs) sorry carry on so um so yeah Booth is getting his he's getting his checkup He's getting, they're looking under his hood because he has had his brain operated on. um, And yes, some stuff is wrong with it. They took a big tumor out. He's been in a coma. um, And he's being, he's being looked over to make sure that he is fit to be having his, have his gun given back to him so that he may immediately start shooting at people the same day. Uh, Apparently, there is no easing back into the FBI. Um, Mm -hmm. It is just somebody checks you over and they put a big tick on the paperwork and they hand you your gun and you go, and it's it's always your friend that does it. Uh, It's your friend and colleague. Very suitable. Very suitable. So um, it's it's also your friend who looks like he's 12. 
He does, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> the the he child course... psychologist. Like, there's a whole series of I'm a child psychologist who works directly for the uh, the FBI's forensic investigations unit based at the Smithsonian. Uh, I alternate between sort of just uh, hand waving members of the team back onto duty and talking to them about their relationships with one another, and then also interrogating criminals. I am a child. <laughs> that would be a great series. Now, um. I should point out that uh, that psychologist Lance Sweets is played by <laughs> John Francis Daly, um, who many people would recognize as the the main kid in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, he uh, grows so, up, grows up to yeah. be the Bones guy. Grows up to be the the Bone yeah. Man. Yeah, so it, she she's Bones and he's Brains. And he is examining his friend, which again very professional, and he's making some references to. You know what? I'm going to give you a gun. But also, you still believe that you love Bones. Mm -hmm. They're making a few references to things that have happened to him while he was having his brain problems. So, in order to understand the context, I went and looked at the um, synopsis of the final episode of the preceding season. Now, I would remind you, this is in the second half of the season where the two leads have become fully-fledged producers and are now steering... (laughs) Steering the direction of the show. Uh, so, in this episode, final episode of season four, <clears throat> all of the regular characters are seen leading different lives. Booth and Brennan are married and own a nightclub called The Lab. But when a body is found at the club, detectives Cam Saroyan and Jared Booth are called to investigate. However, not everything is as it seems. For example, Carolyn Julian, normally a federal prosecutor, is a defense lawyer? <gasps> and Sweets is the front man of the band Gormagon, who is a cannibalistic serial killer. It is subsequently revealed that Booth has been in a coma for several days due to his tumor operation and that the life he saw was possibly only a dream or hallucination. Possibly. It is also revealed that Brennan had been writing at his side, possibly narrating her story out loud as she wrote it, causing Booth to hallucinate what he did. She ends up deleting her work, the episode ends with Booth awakening from his coma without any memory of who Brennan is. <laughs> so he's got his memory back. However, he's he's holding on to all of his coma memories <clears throat> of their alternative life. So wait, hold love. on, hold on, hold on. They the return of his memory, the process of him rebuilding his personality, that happens with an off-camera hand wave between the two seasons. Uh, between waking up with no memory at all uh-huh. of of who his friend and colleague is to now they have him at the point, as I expressed, that there are still some things fundamentally wrong with his personality. They make reference to um, he hated clowns before and he did crazy things like wearing weird socks. Yes. Um, I, I- but he's not doing those now. So there's something wrong with him. But still, I'm going to give you the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he loves clowns. Hold on. <laughs> he loves clowns, and he wears all black socks. Have a gun now. That's all you need just, for the U.S. Just take the gun. Yeah. Have the gun. So, the gun. Um, <laughs> so at this point, psychic Cindy Lauper pops by and says, "Hey, I think you should go and check out this fountain because there's a whole gang of dead bodies under it." Um, Booth's first day back on the job They go and get a big uh, What appears to be a I guess some type of radar Attached to a well, lawn aeration device Well actually I, I've, I've taken I've taken again the quotes from this segment 
uh, where Booth says to Bones, I'm feeling 110%. And Bones replies with, there's no more than 100% you can feel. And then Angela walks in and says, we have to go. There are, there are a dozen bodies buried under a fountain. Now, at this point, oh, the, the, that's how the really, dialogue progresses. There was a really great special effects shot where the camera goes right down under the ground so that you can see the skulls and stuff under the dirt. Uh-huh. How would you know they um, were there? Now, at this point, we get the credit sequence. And we are played the theme song from season five of Bones. And I'm going to play that for you now. This is 30 seconds that I think we all, we can all spend together. Here we go. She's looking at a bone at this point, the theme song. Like murder police do. Created by Hart Hansen. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that the theme song to Bones composed by The Crystal Method. Oh, man. What a, what a late 2000s show this yes, is. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is what I was saying to my wife when she was watching this with me. Uh, I said, there's a few things that I watched recently. I watched the, um, the remake of the movie Get Carter. Uh, mm-hmm. Starring Sylvester Stallone in the Michael Caine role. Uh, Michael Caine himself is in the movie. And it's from the year 2000. And the music in that movie. God damn. I was watching it with the subtitles on. So it would come up with like, you know, th- another song by Crystal Method plays over the speakers. <laughs> Just well, so much of that shit. Presumably, like, like all of the... Um the, the hierarchy of writing, right, is it filters down into network TV. And so everyone fr- who was writing um, network TV sort of in the mid-2000s was probably replicating all of the things that they liked from the early 2000s and late 1990s. Therefore, Bones. Bones. Um, but one, one thing before we carry on, there's one thing I want I want to note, which is, again, that, like... The Bones and Booth are, uh, again, with his memory just rest- of her just restored and dealing with his feelings of love for her and her look and them looking for a bunch of bodies in the ground on the basis of the tip of a psychic from Brooklyn are having a debate about whether or not psychics are real. And again, Bones is giving the kind of answers that a precocious eight-year-old would give. <laughs> which is like uh well uh, occam's razor says according to the laws of physics it is irrational to believe that something can behave non-physically uh and booth being like oh you got to believe in something bones and then they're like oh, there are skeletons and that like sets up the conceit of this episode like where i talked about that they have to introduce some bit of weirdness into the police procedural where the the stakes have to be raised on like an existential level and so the stakes on this episode the conceptual stakes are wait a minute can bone can bones accept that psychics might be real yeah i think um i would one of the many conceits i would say that that specific one as in writing which starts off with uh somebody saying yeah but isn't it pretty crazy that this psychic said that a thing was going to happen and then exactly that thing happened down to 
minute levels of detail. And then Bone says, yeah, but psychics aren't real. And then somebody uh, says, like it's all set up for the writing to then deliver the point of, but sometimes magic happens. And then immediately afterwards, uh, somebody goes, oh, the psychic just told us another real thing. <laughs> well, you can um, you can see the, like, you, I, Bones season five is actually the most like Sherlock Holmes of any of the seasons of Bones. Um, <laughs> because most of the Sherlock, or a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories were about some, like, mystical claim, like, you know, the Hound of the Baskervilles or this magical oh, yeah. count or whatever. And then everyone sort of around Sherlock believes that the, there's this real magical dog or whatever. And then Sherlock then has to contend with the fa- of disproving that there isn't. It's just the thing is, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a very sort of talented and interesting writer. And the writers of Bones are just trying to get home so that they can, like, have dinner at 4 p.m. There's definitely um, definitely a whole element of that type of writing that says cramming as many words as possible into a sentence is funny. Mm. You know that oh, real yes. uh, that real Gilmore Girls type of too talky. You know. Mm-hmm. So at this point, uh, we have a getting back to work montage. Um, helpfully, it has one of my favorite things that happens in a movie or a TV show, which is having a song on the soundtrack. Uh, being performed by somebody who's also playing a character within the fictional right. conceit That's right. of the show. So there is a, a Cindy Lauper song playing, um, and meanwhile there is a montage of things happening. Booth uh, is putting on some wacky socks just to try it out and see yeah. if you know if he's if he's still in there somewhere. Um, Angela's doing a, a, a cool 3D facial reconstruction. Oh, yeah. All of her computer... She basically comes on to, like, do a sketch for them at one point, and then she stays on just to, like, do anything they need with computers. Uh, and again, because the writers clearly just don't understand computers at all, she does everything from, like, impossible video enhancement to Googling and makes it seem as impressive. Yeah, and, like, there's there's definitely... I, I think we're all pretty aware at this point of the whole, hey, uh, things like CSI and NCIS and all that sort of stuff. Um, it kind of ruined the, the public's collective consciousness when it comes to the idea of forensics and evidence-based prosecution and all that sort of thing. Because anything that happens in the course of this show with somebody going, ah, we're doing some forensics now, is them basically inventing from whole cloth uh, something. So they get a skull and then they do a, a big 3D facial reconstruction over the top of it. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they get a, they get a, they find a CD buried with these bodies, which kind of helps to date the whole thing. I yeah. think it might've even been a mini disc. Also, why, um, would, why would you bury a CD with a bunch of bodies? With a bunch of your evidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if I put these bodies and this evidence tying me to the crime in the same location, I'm ensuring that they'll never uh, be found. So, so the montage has, you know, trying on the, trying on the wacky socks, uh, doing some facial reconstructions, and Booth um, sitting and looking through newspaper clippings of crimes he's solved with his romantic interest. <laughs> Which is uh, cool. Oh, the crimes we solved, my love. So, um, so you know, they, they keep looking at all these bodies and stuff. Um, they do some reconstructions. They find a 
single frame of of an image from this CD. And from it, from this like blurry pixelated bullshit, they go enhance, 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 enhance. And now we can read the license plate and a sticker on the window of a van in the background of this very low res shitty shot, um, which is physically impossible to do. So that's cool. Um, they also finished their facial reconstruction of the, of the phantom skull that they found. And it is dun, dun, dun. Brooklyn psychic Cindy Lauper. <laughs> so wait, like, how is can she, that be? Is it is it suggesting that not only is Cindy Lauper a psychic, she may be a ghost? Uh, yes. Oh, at that. this point, at this point, they're all like, "What? How can she be a dead body?" And also, the FBI's local psychic. <laughs> uh, the well, what I enjoy is that uh, again, I have a couple more quotes here because I like writing down quotes. When they're in the pit, when they are in the pit of bones under the fountain that they excavate, like right away, um, Angela How says, "How they got down there so fast?" An- Angela There's says, a "Big hole uh, that they made." Does the fact that Avalon is the psychic? Does the fact that Avalon was right about the bodies make you reconsider her abilities? Bones, there's no proof that tarot cards give you access to a spirit world where the laws of physics don't apply. Angela, until now, and then fearless place. <laughs> um, um, also. <laughs> When they're debate, um, uh, Booth is then overcome by his feelings for Bones and runs to the cave where he becomes flustered after he takes the CD and just runs away again, presumably driving across town twice. With his um, sirens flashing the whole time. And when they get back to the office, they're debating whether or not the psychic could have been involved. And there's like Cajun judge who calls them all Cherie. Um says oh, well this, i don't believe character. in i don't believe in psychics and then uh lance sweets brains says well neither did i oh, i mean do i uh and again <laughs> it's just fantastic little bit of overacting it's wonderful um, stuff yes so so they show the facial reconstruction to psychics indy lopper um and she says oh no that's not me that's my sister and um, they go, what? She then explains to them that the van that they found, um, well, sorry, they, they they do a bunch of forensic stuff and say, ah, the, the van, the van was in fact purchased by the Harbinger Group, a cult for people who become sick uh, due to everything around them. And which was building a new Atlantis in French Polynesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally normal for the police to discover. But actually, that's not when that's introduced. Before the facial reconstruction, uh, Hodges, who's like a scientist who sort of has very little setup so far in this episode, uh, looks up from a piece of cloth and says, yeah, this is from a Russian nuclear submarine. Um, and... So they have basically introduced the element of a lost nuclear submarine and then that the psychic might be her own ghost before <laughs> um, and just let all of oh, these of course, sit of course. as parallel plot threads. I'm, I'm so sorry. That's right. Because and the reason they got to this point before before the van and everything was that they found a small piece of fabric from a navy uniform that they described as a poopy suit. Um, 
in this and, uh, and they said, we think we may have found, and I wrote this down because it's a very important sentence. They wrote, uh, they said, we think we may have found the anonymous grave of the crew of, quote, a super secret stealth submarine called Hawkfish, which disappeared in the 90s. <laughs> it's, I, lo- I love that they just, they started season five out the gate with pure madness of just now, it's bones season 5 we are we are going to introduce in the same episode a the three elements of a psychic who might be real and might also be a ghost um mm-hmm. a lost secret nuclear submarine that people just know about casually and um a cult for people with an invented illness of some kind yeah yeah. Um, now, now, like like you're saying though, it it takes I would say it takes roughly ninety seconds of screen time for them to mm-hmm. get from. We think that we have found the mass grave of the crew of a super secret stealth submarine called Hawkfish, to in DC, <laughs> to oh actually, um, no now we think it's a it's a cult that was building a new Atlantis in French Polynesia. Um, and that they were actually just wearing navy uniforms. Uh-huh. So it yeah. really, it really doesn't take much for them to leap from one thing to another. And what I'm, what I'm really appreciating about this, like as far as them being, you know, forensic, uh, forensic people building cases for people getting put in jail, is how quickly they arrive at these conclusions, the confidence with which. They state that this is absolutely the case. And then how quickly they're willing to completely abandon the thing that they were very confident about a second ago in order to make a new claim about a fun cult or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, that's, well, that's what, um, that's what it's really like being a police officer. People say it's all about um, you know, uh, 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 f- like screwing with young people and uh, abusing sort of minorities and throwing, your, throwing all your power around on behalf of capital and the state. But it's really not. It's really all about just... Uh, the f- it's more like a research project, but that you're doing when you have sort of 20 minutes to finish and you're still grasping for a thesis where you just make a bunch of wild claims and then hope a computer Therefore. backs them up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's right. That's what police work's really all about. It's all about the relationships you have with your colleagues. It's all about um, what kind of socks you're wearing. It's all about uh, finding the crews of disused secret submarine programs and then finding out that they were actually some kind of secret cult. I would say it's mainly about flirting. Yeah. It's mainly about flirting. Mainly about flirting. It's mainly about uh, doing like epic jokes uh, where plucky music plays, where... um, you, where uh, you say something like, and that's why they call me King of the Lab. And Angela says, uh, no one calls you that but yourself. And so on and so on. It's great. It's like, yeah, you don't have to be... And, and, and that's another thing. Like the, the, transit, the transitions between drama and humor that are guided by either ominous music or like pizzicato strings, like for the funny scenes... It just happens like if you're driving a, sta- a manual transmission and you just throw it from fifth into first without the clutch. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's the tonal swings in this show are jarring. So, um, so we get a bit more footage from the mini disc that's buried in the mass grave mm-hmm, and uh, reveals, you know, some some. Uh, 
some ceremonies and stuff from the cult. This in turn reveals to us that psychic Cindy Lauper was also in the cult. Uh, alongside her sister, who was effectively identical to her. Yeah, her identical twin. Now, it's uh, great. It's like a, it's like a telenovela: identical twins, comas, cults. Oh. Uh, there's um, lost there's memories. There's a very important, very important uh, moment here, which you need to remember for later on, which is that psychic Cindy Lauper states that her and her sister were given special certificates with gold seals by the leader of the cult himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to let them know when they were doing something good in this bullshit cult. That's right. Um, she she also, <laughs> she also says <laughs> she also says uh, to to one of the people from the FBI at some point, like very wistfully, there never was any underwater facility, was there? <laughs> That's right. That's pathos. Everyone so can relate to that. <laughs> Everyone can relate to, uh, yes, well, you know, it's just like when you think there's going to be an underwater facility and then boom, there's not. And it's like, um, <sighs> honestly, it it is as though someone wrote the episode of The Simpsons where they joined the movementarians, but as like a police drama. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's... um. It's very, very silly stuff. And we have another big tonal shift here where they track down the guy who was like the the physician for the cult. You know how you need to have one of them for your cult? Of course. Every cult needs a doctor. He was the cult doctor. And um, so they it's have like a... the school nurse. You know, if you, sprain your, if you sprain your ankle, you want to get let off doing like lima bean harvesting for the next sort of hundred or so years. You can go talk to the cult doctor. He gives you a lollipop and off you go. Yeah. So they they track down this guy and they have a talk to him about the um, the cult leader Fargood, and at this point they're doing like a Law and Order style walk and talk through this mm-hmm. guy's clinic. Um, you know the one where the person is is so so busy that they can't even be bothered to stop and talk to the police about some cold case murder or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, you now it's it's the it's no one has ever stopped loading a box or just sort of huffily doing their job while talking to the police who might implicate. I think that's because um, the the writers of these series forget that they're that most people aren't bored by murder police. And hmm. so they're just writing themselves in to show how bored fundamentally bored they are with their own job. I would just keep moving on with what I was doing, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he says the he says the very Law and Order style uh, line of Fargood wanted me to be the physician in his underwater utopia. I declined. <laughs> 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 and when they ask awesome. why, he says when they ask why, he says very matter of factly. Uh, I didn't want to play babysitter to a bunch of people who were allergic to the twenty first century. Now. At this point, I, I need to take us off track a little yes, to go. talk about how um, they were that that she she describes the things that all of these people complained about. Um, she says, "Ah, it's consistent with MCS." Now she also says that if the people who died have MCS, that it will be like that they'll be able to tell from examining their remains. Mm, the bones. I should point out at this point that the, here's, here's from the Wikipedia entry 
on MCS. Multiple chemical sensitivity, MCS, also known as idiopathic environmental intolerances, is an unrecognized controversial diagnosis characterized by chronic symptoms attributed to exposure to low levels of commonly used chemicals. Symptoms are typically vague and nonspecific. They may include fatigue, headaches, nausea, and dizziness. Although these symptoms can be debilitating, MCS is not recognized as an organic chemical-caused illness by the World Health Organization, American Medical Association, nor any of several other professional medical organizations. Uh, Blinded clinical trials show that people with MCS react as often and as strongly to placebos as they do to chemical stimuli. The existence and severity of symptoms is related to perception that a chemical stimulus is present. Uh, and it's helpfully labeled under a, in, a, in a big box that says, this article is part of a series on alternative and pseudo-medicine. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, like a, like a doctor would say to the murder police, and like the murder police would believe that you can see from looking at someone's bones. Yes, it's just, it's just awesome that Bones is like, oh yeah, we can totally tell that you have um, this invented disease <laughs> by looking at your bones. <laughs> well, I'm going to I I okay, so this episode it came out in 2009, which means it was probably written and filmed in 2008. So I'm going to in the background look to see if there was a news article on what's it called MCS? Mhm. Uh what's that stand for again? Multiple multiple chemical sensitivity. Uh-huh. Okay, sensitivity. I'm going to look to see if there was a news article about it, but in between like 2007 and 2009 and if so we will know that um our uh, the writers of the show bones basically just glanced at the news synthesized a couple of stories half understood them and then created a police procedural out of it and got paid that's what's important you know that is what's important um, that's right so while this is happening uh sweets uh, the the psychologist is back in the office with um, what's the name Seely, uh, and unfortunately he needs to show him a series of scans of his of his uh, skull in order to show him that he still has love brain. He's <laughs> he has a brain that is swollen and juicy with love chemicals, and this is why he is having his love feelings, why he is still unafraid of clowns, and while he's not that passionate about his yeah uh, okay yep socks. there there was there was there was like a there was a controversial like um claim in press about uh, a, a woman who was claiming that she had uh, multiple chemical sensitivity um <laughs> and that she was not able to continue doing her job and it was a story that was being written about at the time it seems wonderful um it's good to know that they're taking their their responsibility seriously here yeah exactly um, so it's it's very good. Like uh, we we also we also have at this point um, a bit of examination of like the the soil and the marrow and stuff of all these other bones. And uh, one of the forensic guys declares that they were killed by being poisoned with antifreeze, mm-hmm. um, and that one of them probably got shot in the head with a spear gun. Mm-hmm. And I love once again that we get to this point and they like find, you know, some some chemicals or whatever, or they look at a hole in a skull and they go, yep, that is 100% how this happened. And it was definitely a deliberate murder by one person. 
Well, it's, it's it's the same thing of like, oh, yes, we found some antifreeze digested in the worms, like the worms nearby. Right. Well, yeah. this, that definitely means they were killed with antifreeze. This looks kind of like a spear gun. They were definitely murdered with a spear gun. And look, we saw what parts of your brain like lit up in an MRI. So that proves that you were only in love with with bones because you your brain <laughs> did something in a coma. And again, it's, exactly. it's, it's all presented as quite profound where there's like, yes, it's a deep meditation on the nature of life and love and the question of free will. And are we truly in love when we if we if we say we are and so on. And then it just ends up actually being like some wild assertions made on the basis of half understood scientific phenomena. Well, the best part of this to me is that um, the guy who was looking at the antifreeze stuff proclaims, ah, but if, if you are just dosed with antifreeze in small amounts over time, it'll cause fatigue, uh, nausea, dizziness, symptoms that are all indistinguishable from mcs a fake disease <laughs> yeah it's it, if you dose with antifreeze over time you'll think that you're sensitive to something because someone's beating <laughs> you antifreeze i think you're sensitive to some kinds of chemicals like antifreeze yeah it's, uh, it's, I, again, I have a unique a, condition where if i drink antifreeze it's not good for me just just another terrible indictment on the u.s justice system this whole thing so um they, th- at this point, Bones has gone off to find the doctor, again, the, the Harbinger cult doctor, mm-hmm. and say, hey, funny thing, all these people look like they were poisoned by you. Mm-hmm. Um, Booth has gone to see psychic Cindy Lauper. Who, is and, she in prison? Um, is she, she was a suspect for a little bit, but it, then but they were like, oh, you seem pretty cool. There's a whole there's there's a whole thing where they're talking and then she's like I'm not gonna I don't know if I'm gonna try to escape or nothing and, and then um, it's I kept being like wait is she being detained are they at the police station why is uh, why is Booth now sort of pouring his heart out to psychic Cindy Lauper who I'm pretty sure was a murder suspect like yeah, maybe they, still they is seem- they seem to find her very suspicious for the first half of the episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Booth is talking to her and she's like, hey, let me give you a little reading. Uh, and, he, and he pulls out a card and she is <laughs> she's immediately like, oh, no, Bones is being killed somewhere right now. <laughs> but before that point, before that point, he's like, oh, you know. I just, I really, I got my feelings. I'm in my feelings about bones, you know. Um, But I'm being told that it's these chemicals, these chemicals inside my brain that are making me feel this. And um, Psychic Cindy Lawford says, says uh, the very wonderful line, uh, the doctors know about your head, but they don't know jack about your heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They don't. There's no such thing uh, as a cardiologist. That's right. Uh, they don't know, Jack, about your heart. Uh, she then pulls out a card and goes, Bones is in danger. Get out of here. Get out of here. And he's like, what? And she goes, get out of here. Get out of here now. Hey, get out of here. Like <laughs> 12 spray times. With a spray bottle. Yeah. Get out of here. Scram. Scat. Uh, and he goes, oh, and gets up and runs away, at which point she immediately stands up and hails a cab, making it look like she's, <laughs> she's like, well. just escaping <laughs> i guess you've followed for my scheme um 
so so you know bones is, is going to check out what's up with this doctor and he's like hey just lock the door behind you and come right down to the back of the office yeah doctor's straight up talking like she's uh some like 29 year old on to catch a predator yeah yeah and, like, uh, hey just come through and sit down i've left you some lemonade i'm gonna come out and kill you in a second so he does come out and immediately try to stab her to death with a scalpel. Um, so we've got a, we've now got our dash of like cool violence in the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Booth shows up just in time and immediately double taps this dude. Yeah, and kills him dead. First day back, brain barely working, and everything's right with the world. You know, yeah, that's right. Uh, he gets to do everything he needed to do in his first day. Yeah, a uh, bit of bit of paperwork, file some evidence, boss some other FBI people around, shoot a guy dead, and then uh, shoot shoot a guy dead, and try to wrangle with your feelings for your coworker. She, in the course of this, she gets slashed with a scalpel, and then has the scalpel plunged about two inches deep into her forearm, and mm-hmm. um, and he grabs her afterwards, and he's like, Are "You okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. Uh-huh. I'm oh. fine." Oh, 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 my arm. <laughs> um, so, it's it's also very funny to me. He gets to kill somebody. He goes back to the office. Um, she gets patched up or whatever. Also, do, do, do you, doesn't it feel like after they discover, after they discover this, like all of the things that were set up, the big questions that were set up in the first third of the show sort of get answered and now they're just kind of pushing themselves toward the end now they're like we need to go somewhere with this um now somebody asks bones how she's doing and in true sheldon cooper style she says they gave me medication so i feel the way i imagine people of average intelligence feel all the time yeah so that's that's how you know someone's impressive and, and intelligent is if they're a total fucking asshole if they if they have a healthy disdain for the ordinary person, <laughs> yeah. Well, if this is this thing, Bones is all about is the, Bones is the show that a gifted thirteen year old would write about what they think it's like to be a gifted adult. So, um, now they like you said they need to wrap this up. So they're, they're <laughs> trying they to find to, the cult leader, but they've given themselves twenty minutes to do the wrap up of the show. <laughs> it is absolutely too much, and so um, Angela is into Google mode, mm-hmm. as, as you have said. And she says what I think is my favorite, um, what my favorite line of the episode would be. I'm pulling up websites containing the words Harbinger, Utopia, Undersea, and MCS, and running them through my facial recognition program. Yeah, that's right. I don't I don't see what the problem is there. That's I, Have you not used Google recently? That's the third button. It's, uh, I'm it's, putting four four keywords into Google and running the results through my facial recognition program. Have you no, never I used? Have you never my... used? I'm feeling lucky. That's what that does. <laughs> I immediately did my own searches of these terms, and um, I found a, a document on the website of the Australian Government's uh, Seafarers Safety Rehabilitation and Compensation Authority website. Yes, cult clearly. Which matched these terms. Uh, it turned out that this document, this PDF, it was it was a big list. And I was like, what is going on here? Uh, <laughs> How the deep does this go? Dis- <laughs> well, <laughs> let me tell you. 
The document is about the decision by the sea care authority to grant Section 20A exemptions, which means that it is a list of ships that are registered in Australian states and territories under the Domestic Commercial Vessel Legislation as at 30 January 2020. Now, what this was in, in practice was a big list of commercially registered boat names in Australia. And I would like to read some of them to you. Uh, please do. <clears throat> okay, so these are, once again, these are boats that people have registered mm-hmm. for business use in Australia. Here we go. <clears throat> Mr. Greedy. <laughs> Mr. Greedy 2. Rastaman. Western DJ. Fair Dinkum. Mudguts. <laughs> Ripper Tune. Uh, Tom Boy. <laughs> Australia. Uh, What a a place. Garfield. (laughs) Cool. Dumpster. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Is that just a dumpster that someone sailed? Just Dumpster is the name of this commercially registered vote. Uh, Ball Breaker. Hoobie Doobie. Grim Reaper. O Boat. (laughs) That is... That is O apostrophe boat. (laughs) Like the most Irish boat that has ever sailed the seas. And finally, just Karen. Hmm. Uh, Oh, oh, hang on. I'm going to blow some dust off the PDF here. Huh. There appears to be one called Sealy Booth. (laughs) Sealy boat. Sealy boat. Um, That's right. So, using the internet or whatever, we found the cult leader, but he changed well, no, his name. Here's, here's the thing. I, I caught this. They were like, well, I'm going to Google these keywords, harbinger, cult, etc. And then Sweets says, no, no, no. He's going to change his modus operandi. Um, and, oh, no, sorry. So, here's the, here's the actual whole whole uh, thing. Angela's uh, Googling, but, like, with the Minority Report computer. Um, running keywords <laughs> through a facial recognition algorithm, which makes sense. Sweets comes in uh, and says, uh, hey, what are you doing? And she's going to be like, I'm trying to find the cult leader, but it's going to take longer than until you grow facial hair. Plucky joke music. Um, but then what they do is they have a, a sort of 60-second conversation where they take all of the series of logical leaps to conclude that the person who's setting up a new Atlantis for people who suffer from an invented illness that's actually real in the universe of Bones, which is also the universe of BoJack Horseman, um, would... <laughs> would um, uh, uh, he would he would just try to prey on the same types of people, and who's got a lot of different illnesses? The reti- the elderly. He's setting up a retirement community. <laughs> now, I I wonder because as you said, we've we've already had like a lot of shaky forensic bullshit, uh-huh. right? Yes. Because all of the forensic stuff was them saying, ah, there are traces of some of the chemicals that are found in antifreeze in these worms near the corpses. Therefore, they were poisoned on a submarine with antifreeze, you know. Yeah, obviously. Um, We've already had a whole bunch of this stuff. Then we get to, um, we got to find this guy. And then the psychologist steps in and says, I will use psychology by by just thinking, what's another kind of this sort of thing that he could be doing? <laughs> they just do the first one. Yeah, and then they, I'm assuming they continue to Google a bit. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's right. Now, it should be noted that when, when, when she says, how are we going to find him? Um, before deviating onto this track, Sweet says, human nature. 
that's how. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's right. Oh no, sorry. That's 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 not what happened at all. I'm very sorry. Ah, well. So we've established where he is. He's running a retirement home. Mm-hmm. He used to be a cult leader. He's got a different name now, but his new identity it's watertight. Somehow, this person who came into existence like five years ago, despite being a fifty-year-old man, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, that that part cannot be unpicked by all of the FBI's resources. No, they, instead they, they can identify which 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 secret uh, black ops government stealth sub a scrap of uniform came from. But when a guy just decides to stop being a cult leader and start being a successful retirement home investor uh, at the age of forty five, they got nothing. It's like fuck. He's got us. He's got us. Well, we asked and him his name, and he said it was different. <laughs> what else can we do? They don't know what to do. They've detained him. They're doing some classic kind of um, figure out ways to keep this guy in longer, despite us not having anything to charge him with business. Honestly, I feel point, like the writing of this show should be considered a form of police brutality. Just like on on the on you, the the watcher. It's like it's where this watching them sit in in a room and s- just stare at this guy with their mouths open through a one way mirror, <laughs> like ah, oh, we'll never understand how, what could drive him to such madness. And then they invent some in- other insane uh, uh, schemes, which I will let you get to. I'm starting to think that maybe I should start a cult. <laughs> I'm feeling sympathetic with this guy. Um, so, so you know, they've said well. How do we get? Oh, oh this one, one more thing before we no, go well, on. Bef- before this point, before this point, yeah. okay, go ahead. Very, very important to remember a point from earlier in the episode, which was when they said, "How do we get this guy's DNA?" Uh, and they they go, "Wait a minute, he gave special certificates with gold seals on them to all these people when they passed whatever when they got to like you know uh, operating level five Thetan or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, which means that we can get his saliva from under the the seals that was stuck on. And now we have his DNA. Despite the fact that once again, do you actually know that he licked the underneath of those things? Mm-hmm. Do you know that, that it was him be? who licked them? Did you know it was him? How do you know that they were even stuck on in that fashion? Let alone, mm-hmm. it wasn't a bit of glue? It didn't yeah. just have a little thing he peeled off the back. Oh, also, before we so carry anyway, on, they've... there's one thing I want to add, which is that he does the thing that every ob- that every like confident he's gonna walk bad guy does, which is he attempts to like sell them a unit from his front business while being questioned by the murder police. Which is a boss move. Yeah, awesome. I think we yeah. gotta. That's if you're ever if you are ever um, questioned by murder police, the best way to tell them that they've got no case is for you to offer them your professional services for when this interrogation is done. Yeah. So I would like to do business with you, sir. (laughs) So so they say, hey, we have the uh, we have the DNA of cult leader guy, but we don't have the DNA of this guy to match it with. And they say, how are we going to get it? We don't have a warrant. And at this point, this is when Seeley says human nature bones so they proceed to do another extremely unethical thing where they take psychic cindy lauper out and they wheel her out in front of this cult leader who killed her sister and they say is this the man who killed and buried your sister in a mass grave remember when that happened and how dead your sister is and this is the man who murdered her (laughs) you remember that how does that make you feel uh, Cindy Lauper then immediately 
holds off psychic style and scratches at his face and neck with her acrylics, mm-hmm. immediately drawing blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and she scratches him. That's action. She doesn't hit him or slap him. She scratches him. No, she immediately lunges at him, claws out, scratches him. And they then leap into action and grab her forearm with the plastic baggie that they already prepared to put over her hand and preserve the precious DNA evidence. Mm. Again, it's it's I very fun. Very loud when that happens. It's very fun that they again are it's the police brutality here is just being exposed to the pure stupidity. We're like, you, if you were Tom Fargood, you could file an internal affairs complaint, but just because you had to like endure psychic damage while watching them take all of these intuitive leaps. Oh, I, I just, I always think the same thing about this type of show, mm-hmm. which is, um, wouldn't it be amazing to see the court case that resulted from this investigation? Ah, so how did you arrive at the conclusion that uh, my client was this man from this cult or whatever? And they say, well, uh, we found some old certificates that a psychic told us that he uh, gave them. And we swabbed them, I guess. Yeah, we swabbed, we swabbed them. the stickers. Of course. But that's only half the battle. We had, to, we had to get something to match the DNA with. I bet, Your Honor, you're thinking, well, they're shit out of luck. No sale. Because we induced our one of the uh, well, she used to be a suspect. Now she's sort of more of a friend um, and confidant. We induced her to uh, scratch him by uh, psychically messing with her, and then we uh, used the skin dug out from under her nails uh, to uh, you know run these DNA samples. Uh, anyway, what's a warrant? The most important thing in police work is exploiting a victim of a crime. I think that's ideally if you can manage that anywhere in there, that'd be great. So, um, you know, they've, they've got everything they need now. They got both sets of DNA from this guy and he's like, would have got away from it with it. If it weren't for you pesky, funny FBI agents, if it weren't for you meddling bones, if it weren't for you meddling bones, if it weren't for you, uh, meddling Characters from the Jeffersonian Institute Medico Legal Lab. That's it. I said it's Smithsonian. It's actually Jeffersonian. Um, yes, that's true. Uh, which is a, f- a fictional institution mm-hmm. which reflects the historical relationship between the FBI and the scientists of the Smithsonian Institution. So um, they get to stitch this guy up, put him away for life, I assume. Mm-hmm. No parole. Uh, you were found to. You were fa- but here's the funny thing. They. Um, they they say that they're going to be like, uh, we're going to, uh, what's that? They, they, they can't prove that he's going to be, a, that he's a murderer, that he's a murder guy, right? They can only prove that he ran the cult. They can't prove that he murdered all those people. Um, and that's, that's where I think some of the final, because they, they just know he was running the cult. They didn't know he actually pulled the trigger on the spear gun. Uh, yeah, so they they wind up again having a bunch of reiteration of of people saying, "Hey, you got to take what you can get," mm-hmm. you know, exactly. Got to take what you can so get. The, the actual um, it was a, let's do, shall we? This is the sort of the last couple of scenes. Shall we do the uh, the culmination of the love storyline or the culmination of the crime storyline? Well, I, I just want to point out, as as we referred to earlier, uh, Bones is absolutely on some, like, young Sheldon Asperger's type shit. Uh, 
she she doesn't understand metaphors mm-hmm. i guess um the, like another cop says about that something is a million to one shot and she starts uh trying to like c3po the odds mm-hmm. and say oh well we don't uh w- there's a bunch of other factors that we aren't aware of yet when factoring into a and she's like oh you're just trying to say that it's unlikely yeah that's As comedy she just she just doesn't she doesn't understand it. Is she um? Is she like fucking Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy? She doesn't understand anything that isn't like completely literal. Well, it's the again. Don't forget, this is they, they have to turn out one of these episodes every single week, and so I don't think <laughs> these jokes get beyond a first draft. It is incredible stuff. Mm. But yes, at the at the culmination of the romantic storyline, uh, Booth comes to her and says he wants to talk to her. He needs to tell her something. And he needs to tell her something from inside his heart. And she says, blood is inside your heart. Again, it's a precocious eight-year-old. <laughs> oh, which this is one of these things where like, well, if you tried to tell someone that you love them and you said, uh, there's something inside my heart I want to tell you about. And she said... It's a common misconception that love comes from the heart when in fact it is a chemical reaction in the brain. Wouldn't you just be like, fucking forget it. I don't, forget it. Yeah. I, I, know I was going to f- ask you out, but fuck yeah, that. Fuck off. You seem like you'd be boring. I don't think I want to spend an evening with you now that we're... Outside of work, I don't think like two hours at a restaurant yeah. would be great. Yeah, maybe we should just be colleagues. So, um, so yeah, I guess we are kind of left there at the point romance wise of um you know uh, booth is gonna have to spend a while trying to figure out if he still has love brain from his coma hallucination and of course how do we know that maybe he still does have love brain because there's just a little bit of evidence in the end that he's a little bit different than he was before so hard to tell you know well, that's right because he's um accosted on the street by a clown <laughs> by a clown and she says no don't shoot the clown <laughs> No, FBI agent Seely Booth, don't shoot that clown in the street because you hate clowns. And then he just giggles and honks the clown's nose and off the clown walks. It's also like, uh, it's also not how anybody who isn't scared of clowns <laughs> acts around clowns, you know? Like, like what, what clown is walking around the streets of Washington, D.C. just going up to couples and then capering in front of them for a moment before wandering off into the dark? Well, the clown blasts him with the old squirty flower. <laughs> and I would be like, I'm not scared of clowns, but I would also be like, fuck off. <laughs> if you were just, just mind your own business on the street and somebody blasted you in the face with some water... You would be like, what is happening? I mean, who this, are you? To me, this is a weirder part. This is the weirdest part of the episode. It's weirder than the sort of wild assertion that a submarine cult uh, resulted in 12 bodies buried under a fountain that a psychic told you about. It's strange because it's just like, it's supposed to be some revelation about his character that he's reacting well to this clown. But what's the business model of this clown? How is he paying for all that grease paint if mostly how he does clowning is walking around the street at night clowning for random people and then walking off before demanding payment or in fact after five mere seconds of capering uh i've i've splashed you here is my card (laughs) it's like a patreon thing 
This is a free episode. Do you need anybody? Do you need anybody to come around and just fuck with you? (laughs) You would enjoy that. Does Washington, D.C. have a lot? Oh, maybe that's one of the clowns from Congress. I think um, there was definitely like a vibe between him and the clown when the clown squirts him and she's like, don't murder the clown. Um, And he smiles and laughs a little too much. He honks the clown's nose, pats him down from the head down, starts at his head, then shoulders and so on, Um, smiling the whole time. And the clown has this relieved smile like, oh, good. He gets clowning. (laughs) Finally, I'm not talking to one of these anti-clown philistines. Finally, the eighth person that I have squirted with my flower today. I've been punched every time. This guy finally understands the art form. You know? <laughs> anyway, back to, back to my job as a senator. <laughs> oh, but like, so but the um, cloud yeah, thing that's... is meant. It's meant to illustrate that. Wait, maybe he's not really in love with bones after all. Normal Booth would have shot. <laughs> This clown. Normal Booth would have killed this clown. Would have killed him dead. For less than this. Normal Booth wouldn't have waited to be squirted. He would have killed that clown on sight. <laughs> Just been done with it, you know? Uh, so, yeah, this this kind of leaves us at the end of season one, episode well, five. There's one more thing bonus. that happens, which is okay. the judge drives up to them in like a Morris, like a, like a, like a Twingo, like a small car. And then they get in, and she says, uh, she just says, don't worry, we can't charge him with murder, but we can charge him on a litany of crimes related to the Navy flag code for wearing all those submarine uniforms, and he'll get a hundred <laughs> years in jail. hundred years all up for a, a, a different crime, I guess. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. Oh, dear. I'm excited to see the litany of ways in which they, they put people away. Oh, yeah. In subsequent episodes, because that is my favorite thing about this genre of show is what are the leaps of logic and stretching of credulity that you have to do in order to be able to put people away? Because that's justice. That's what justice is. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's all about it's all about getting getting your criminal, whether they're a magical creature from beyond comprehension, whether they're a submarine cult, whether they're from the moon, or whether they're a famous assassinated person. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to find out about all these things and more. Yes, we, we will do more episodes of this because just from a brief perusal of the synopses of of the episodes in this season. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. And Riley has informed me that this is one of the more tame episodes of yes. the season in which we Absolutely. had psychics, mass graves, um, super secret stealth subs, underwater cults called the New Atlantis, fake diseases, um, a lady doing facial reconstructions and then yelling about mongoloid and negroid features. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. 2010, huh? <laughs> what a year. Uh, doctors trying to kill people with scalpels. Clowns. We've got it all, baby. <laughs> Comas. Unexplained memory loss. Uh, the, all, of the, all of the plot devices of a telenovela. All that and more. In this, the first season of this show that we are tentatively calling The Boney Island Whitefish. (laughs) 
so yeah, thank you for listening, and um, we're gonna we're gonna put this out as extra stuff yeah. for both of our podcasts. Yes, to say thanks. So thanks, if, everybody. If you're a patron of either Bunta Vista or Trash Future, this is our way of saying. Thanks for being a patron, but it's also my way of saying to Andrew, you got to check out the show Bones. <laughs> it's a really, really, really in-depth way of saying that. Yes, absolutely. Huge time ah, commitment. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm going to say uh, good night or good morning or whatever time it is in Australia to you out there in podcast land. And thanks for stopping by. Bye-bye. Bye.